Hey folks, welcome to the Astrology Show. I'm Kira, I'm your host, and we have another good one for you this week. Um, before we get into it, Deccans, Decans, Deconic stuff, <laughs> um, a couple of housekeeping thingies. I don't like calling it that. Why do we even call it that? Um, things that I wanted to tell you guys before we get into the show. Um, one, we are going back to weekly episodes. So, um, I, I'm pretty sure we'll be wrapping up the season this month in April, um, maybe early May, but yeah, we're going to go back to once a week. Um, and you know, hopefully next season we can crank it back up, um, we'll need sponsors essentially is, is a big part of that. So yeah, if you're interested in being a sponsor for the astrology show, hit us up, um, shoot us an email at hello at the astrology.com. Um, yeah, we're also at the astrology show at Gmail, but I don't think people, I don't think any of us check that. So <laughs> info at astrology.com or hello at astrology.com. Someone will answer your email. Um, yeah. So back to moon day only episodes. We had a good run there. Um, all throughout February and, and March doing twice a week episodes. I would love to bring that back this fall when we bring the show back. No promises. I, wa I want to bring the show back in the fall, <laughs> but I truly have no idea what my life is going to be like um, when I, after, after coming back from um, Europe in August. So we'll see. Um, but until then, <laughs> we have a lot of cool stuff coming up um, for or at the astrology and in the 11th house. Um, Let's see. Yeah, this weekend on Saturday the 9th, Ari Felix is giving a dope presentation called Poetic Contemplation with Your Chart Ruler. Um, I talked about that on the last episode intro, but it's going to be really special, um, a really, a really special workshop. And you can read more about it. Um, there's going to be a link in the show notes about it. You can sign up. Um, if you can't make it live or you can't make the entire thing, we, um, we present the replay to everyone who signs up. So sign up anyway. <laughs> Ari's amazing. You've probably seen them on the show before or heard them on the show. Um, they were on the water signs episode and they actually also joined for episode number one, the very first episode of the astrology show. Um, entitled Why Astrology. So Ari's a really good friend of mine and just a really incredible practitioner in so many ways. Um, so yeah, blessed to have them. Um, what else we have? Um, we're, we're doing some, you know, our normal 11th house gatherings. We have a Lib Libra full moon gathering um, for members coming up and then I'm going to be giving a special webinar presentation. Um, I, I believe I'm going to do it on the 19th. I'm pretty sure it'll be April 19th. Um, 
And essentially, I'm still I'm still getting the title right, but essentially it's it's going to be about how to increase or improve your fluency in astrology um, without getting so overwhelmed, you know. Um, so so yeah, that's coming up. Keep an eye out. Um, I'll I'll announce that for sure in the next episode when I have the when I have the details more solid. Um, and then I I decided I have to cancel slash postpone my LA workshop. Um, but I have a really, really special in-person experience coming up on Saturday, April 23rd in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I rented out this really beautiful space, this gorgeous loft space, super cozy. I have a chef curating some food for us. Um, and yeah, I'm opening up to 12 awesome people. I actually don't know how many people have signed up so far. So it might be, we might have less than 12 left at this point. I know that some people have signed up. I'm not sure the exact number, but, um, very small group and it's all about the astrology of relationships and of relating, um, of being in relationship with, you know, yourself and others and, um, yeah, I think this is just going to be really intimate and fun and lots of really nice group work, um, and unpacking different aspects of, you know, who we are and how we show up in relationship and, um, also looking at the chart from the perspective of other people in our lives so that we can better understand our relationships that way. I have a whole lot of you know, a bunch of different ways, uh, I approach the chart in regards to relationships and, um, I'm really excited to share that and to dive deep with folks. So if you are in the New York area on the East coast and you want to come see me and have this really, um, awesome personal group experience, I would definitely check it out. Again, we, have I'll say less than 12 spots <laughs> remaining. I, I'm, I, I could check right now. Um, and maybe I should, but, um, yeah, it's going to be again, Saturday, the 23rd. Um, and what else? I'm sorry. I'm like distracted looking this up. Okay. Okay, cool. So we have nine spots remaining. I just opened up the doors yesterday. I just announced it yesterday. So we have nine spots remaining. That's exciting. Um, and I think it's going to be really special and I'm, I'm cooking up some fun things for everyone. Um, yeah. So that's, that. Um, we also have one more Venusian afternoons coming up at the end of the month. Um, well, we have one more actually, <laughs> I shouldn't say it like that. We have one more coming up at the end of this week. And then, so we have two more Venusian afternoons in April, I should say, um, as part of the season. And what else? What else? Oh, we just have fun. We have more fun stuff coming up in May, including a summit, a mini summit, um, which I'll, I'll talk more about as that, as that approaches. Um, but we're closing submissions for that like today. <laughs> so I'm excited, um, to continue to pour through them. It's going to be extremely hard to just pick five people. <laughs> but, um, the good news is, is that we can always do this again. So I have a feeling that 
I'm going to be planning more than one summit <laughs> as I as I try to narrow this down. Um, okay, yeah, I think that's I think that's everything important. Um, I'm sure I'm missing something, but I think that's everything important for now. Um, yeah. Let me leave you to it. This is an episode about deacons I did with, or decans. I usually say decans, so I don't know why I said it that way. Um, <laughs> I did with Mo and Pal. Um, they have a podcast together. You should definitely check it out. But we talk more about that in the episode, so let me just let you get into it. Enjoy. Hey, pal. Hey, Mo. How's it going? Hey. <laughs> Good. I'm excited to have you guys here. Um, well, welcome back, Mo. And pal, this is your first time on the show, right? I am now I'm like, wait, I, I have recorded with you before and I it was around the angles. I could. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. You came on the show before. I, I always like forget because I'm like, I don't know why I thought I was like thinking in my head we did like a webinar or something like something else but yeah of course yeah you me and Diana and well yeah it was just the three of us right yes we talked about the angles the um first seventh fourth and tenth houses Mm -hmm. um welcome back both of you happy to have you um so if folks don't know about you um I love to, I love for you guys to introduce yourselves, share your SMR, um, a little bit about your practice, all of that. Um, Pal, do you want to start? Yes. So um, I'm Pal on Twitter. I'm Pal Astrology, also on Instagram, but I don't post as much astro content on there. And my sun, moon, rising is Leo, Taurus, Taurus. And as for my astrology practice, I've been doing natal astrology, solar return charts, and then starting to dabble in electional and horary. However, I've had my readings closed for, it was a good chunk of 2021 and indefinitely for 2022. I'm in an 11th house perfection year right now. And in true post 10th house fashion, mm-hmm. I'm I guess really just trying to figure out what the next steps are for me. I've been thinking a lot, for example, about like how to teach and mentor um, new astrology students, uh, as well as just continuing to learn um, and grow my own astrology knowledge. So that's me in a nutshell. Cool. Love to hear that. Um, Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense that your books are closed right now and that you're like, what's next at this turning point um especially because all that Taurus or you're about to get you're about to be in a close city (laughs) oh no it's start it's starting already it's already here yeah yeah I hear that well welcome back um yeah I just realized all three of us are like the Taurus Scorpio axis (laughs) I have the Scorpio stellium you have a Taurus stellium uh, or not stellium just like concentration we'll say right um you have the leo stellium and mo do you have a bunch of planets in taurus or just you have sun and mercury no mercury's uh, in gemini of I course have sun k2 and then as for fixed signs i have mars and leo and oh Scorpio. that's it oh so wait this is your nodal reversal reverse oh my gosh wow what a year this is gonna be for you <laughs> well yeah <laughs> 
why don't you introduce yourself smr all the things i'm mo i love talking about my chart Taurus, sagittarius and pisces rising um Let's see my practice. It's very Hellenistic, medieval. I am learning Vedic. However, I will not be reading charts from that lens. Um, but it has enriched the way I think about like the planets and houses and stuff. So it's great. Um, you know, I also do solar returns. I'm probably going to stick to predictive um, for people, but also mundane. I'm dabbling into mundane. There's that. Um, I also do tarot as well, which will be relevant. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. My books are open. I've literally <laughs> been open since like end of December. Like, okay. Cool. I'm sure they'll, you think they'll still be open when this comes out in early April? <laughs> um, will they be open? I would say they will probably be open until mid-April. Like, I don't know when in okay. April they're releasing. So, the 7th, hopefully, probably. I mean, but I could also extend it. I know for sure in May I'm closing. So. Okay, okay. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, when our chart ruler enters back into a dark house. <laughs> that's how I'm looking at it, at least. I'm like, uh, I'm getting it all switch. in before then. I switch perfection years and my, you know, I start out that year with my time Lord retrograde. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Mo and I have the pretty much the exact same ascended degree. <laughs> so yeah, we get right now it's, um, we're recording this early February and Jupiter is crossing just sitting our, in our ascendant degree right now. It feels really nice. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't feel nice, nice for you. It's, it's nice for me. It's, it's nice it's for me. Good. For me, it's like purely like the best parts of it are just purely mindset. Like that's it. It's just like, I just have faith things are going to work out. Like nothing's actually going super well <laughs> right now, but it's just, you know, I'm well fed. I'm like able to smile about shit. It's kind of like that. So, but hopefully Jupiter does come through once it is officially in my first house, once it crosses that threshold tomorrow. Um, but anyway, you two have a podcast together. So you've both been on my show before. Um, but yeah, you two have a show together. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Sure. Uh, what? where do we start? Like, I feel like we were just like, we should do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, for one, I think was very excited to do a podcast with Mo in particular, because we both have that Leo Mars. And so I just had a feeling that I, I, I never, I, I, what I didn't want was just to be just like another project that just like ends up falling through. And even though I have a lot of fixed stuff, like I have Jupiter and Aries, so I have a propensity for just starting things and then just like dropping it. And so, um, but we came up, you know, the name fixed astrology podcast is just obvious. Like both of us have very, very strong um, fixed placements in our chart. And we, in terms of topics, like we sat and we brainstormed for a while, but really wanted to start with a series on the decans. And so where we just wrapped it up. And so getting your message and asking, like where you were asking us to come on your podcast, it was just very, very timely because we had just wrapped up the decan series. 
Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't realize that, that it lined up that way. It was like some weird um, (laughs) type stuff because I swear to God, literally that the week before you hit us up, like, you know, we just finished the cap decans and like releasing it. And like, we're just like, you know, we want to like finish the decans off in like a nicer way. Cause like we focused on, you know, describing the archetypes and stuff and not really so much like how you would use it in practice. And so it was funny that like you literally hit us up like <laughs> at the perfect time. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Cause I remember when you guys started the podcast and you started the series on the Deccans and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is good. I love a series, you know? So anyone, anyone listening, as you're listening to this and as you're, you know, you're being amazed by everything you're learning, um, be sure to check out the Fixed Astrology podcast because that's when you can really dive into the individual Deccans. You guys do an episode on each, um, on each Deccan, right? Uh, no, so we actually went sign by sign. And okay, that's what it was, sign by sign yeah. in each sign. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what that's yeah. what it was. So yeah, you can, if you're interested in, in the decans of Taurus or the decans of Libra, what have you, um, you there's an episode for that, <laughs> which is really exciting. Um, so, oh, but I before we get into it, I, I don't know why I'm like, so like, we have to talk about how we know each other before we talk about anything else. <laughs> For some reason, I'm really, I'm really strict about that. Um, so yeah, I know you both from Twitter, right? Um, I think that's how we first connected. Is that how you guys connected? Yeah, yeah it was also Twitter. And we haven't met in person Twitter. yet, right? No, not <laughs> yet. But soon, oh, I'm excited too. Soon. Yeah, because I'm actually you're you're moving in March, right? Yeah, I'll be moving to New York. The pals in Hawaii, and that's a big reason why we haven't met in person. You know why you probably haven't met a lot, a lot of astros in person, because you haven't been on the mainland, and so you're moving very soon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And hoping to check out some in-person astrology conferences at some point. Amazing. Well, I'm coming at the end of April, and I'm trying to have some sort of gathering if it's safe by then um so i'm definitely going to see you then shortly after this episode releases um and mo you got to get you guys are like you're you're not on on the continent and you're in a different country (laughs) (laughs) so for me i'm like "Mm, norwalk might not be happening but like if you find me at isar for reasons that i will not announce yet do not be surprised if I'm at Esau. Okay. Say. okay. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there. Um, I'd love to see you. But regardless, we've, we've shared, you know, in, internet space for a, like a lot over the past couple of years and it's been great. So, you know, fixed, fixed, um, fixed the light. What's, what am I trying to say? <laughs> Fix Kids Unite. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. um fixies fixies belong together I think that's what I'm trying to say they do yeah yeah (laughs) my goofy ass okay so anyway yeah let's get into it you two have a podcast together you met on twitter when astro twitter was so magical (laughs) 
<laughs> still, still a nice place to be. No, I'm joking. I don't know what it's like right now. Um, so I can't talk, but, um, and you guys decided to make this podcast together and yeah, well, I'm curious why the Deccans, like what, well, first of all, before we even say that, I guess we should kind of define the Deccans, right? I guess we should kind of tell, say what that is. Um, so just top level, the Deccans are, um, maybe I should let you guys do it. I, I'll, I'll just say like the very, okay, I'll say like the very like, you know, dictionary simplified definitions, which is they are 36, um, well, it's the division of the zodiac wheel into 36 parts. And so the, any wheel, any circle is 360 degrees. Um, and therefore we have 360 degrees, you know, like notches or whatever in that wheel. Um, and then we, we tend to divide it by 12 when we're looking at the 12 signs of the zodiac. Um, <clears throat> Deccans divides each of those signs into three equal parts with 10 degrees each. And so we get this wheel that is, it, it's almost like zooming in on the Zodiac into, um, just more, I don't even, I don't even know how you would put it, like more smaller segments basically. Um, and Deccans are basically, we have planets that rule each of these Deccans, um, and there's two different systems actually of rulership that, which I'm sure you guys can speak to. And essentially they're, they're part of the essential dignity system or schema. They're, they're considered a, <clears throat> a type of dignity that a planet can hold, um, which is if it's on, in its own Deccan. And what we're going to talk about what type of, you know, what type of dignity that is um, compared to other types of dignity like domicile or, or even triplicity. Um, and yeah, I want, I'm sure you guys have, you guys will speak on the history of it a little bit better than I can, but um, yeah, does anyone want to take it from there and talk about, you know, where we get this system from? Let Pal take the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> well, as as um, Kira had said, there are two different orders of rulership. There actually are three, and I'll touch on that third one oh, wow. a little bit. It's a little strange, but the two main ones that most people who study traditional astrology know are the Ptolemaic order, which on if you if you use astro.com as your free software, which many people use, it's referred to as the Chaldean decans on there. And then the second one is the triplicity order, which is also, it has a different name on astro.com. It's traditional decans on astro.com. Mm. And so here's the difference between the two. The Ptolemaic order, aka the Chaldean decans, um, starts with Mars in the first decan of Aries. So it's Mars who rules that first decan of Aries. And then from there, the order, the planets go in order of, um, at the time, what was perceived as the slowest to the fastest planet. So it's, it's the planetary speed. The triplicity order of the Deccans, aka the traditional Deccans, um, they're ru ruled by that sign's triplicity lords. So the first Deccan of the sign is always going to be the same as the domicile lord. So for example, the first Deccan of Cancer is ruled by the moon. So um, the, this third, and then the, just real quick on that, there is overlap 
in the system. So there are some Deccans that are ruled by the same planet, no matter which system you use. Um, I especially love to pay extra attention to those Deccans. Um, yeah, because like, for example, like a double Mars rule Deccan is just going to be very, very, very Martian. Um, as for this third Deccan that I referred to earlier, um, there is a third order called the Manilius Deccans, and it is on astro.com as well. So Manilius was an astrologer who assigned the Deccans to signs, not planets. So there's it's sign rulership. Um, there's other instances of Manilius, um, like avoiding the sign, like like you using signs as rulership instead of planets. And this is something like I haven't fully researched. Like I, I don't know why he did it this way or what the reasoning was behind it, but it is it kind of does track with him. Okay, cool. I didn't know about that one. Um, I'm just going to share my screen again of a Deccan's wheel that I made um, for my for my course for some of my classes. Um, this is the Chaldean order Deccan wheel, and this is you know we're using Cancer rising for the Thema Mundi. Um, but yeah, this is this is a, an explanation or a visual if you're watching on YouTube or you're watching you know the visual of this. Um, you can see we have the twelve signs, and then each of those signs divided up into into three different parts. And as you say, we start with. Aries, right? The first second of Aries. Um, is that where you start? Is that where it starts? I guess it is. Yeah, right? it is where it starts. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we go from there and yeah, it goes in Chaldean order, starting with Mars, then the sun in Chaldean order. Um, you might recall me mentioning the order of the spheres or the order of the cosmos in earlier episodes this season um, and the sign episodes. And um, that order that we spoke of, starting with Saturn as the outermost planet and going in, we're using, um, yeah, the speed and distance from Earth. It's a geocentric um, model. And yeah, coming in from there, Saturn to Jupiter to Mars. Um, when we get around the entire wheel, we end up at Mars twice so mars there's a double mars <laughs> between aries and i'm oh, sorry pisces and aries which i think is kind of interesting if you think about that transition um just like when planets move through those that those 20 degrees you know but anyway yeah so the decans comes from we get this system from um the egyptians right um, so I was going to like chime in about that because it's really interesting. So, you know, basically you can think about Western astrology as, you know, merging like the 12th, you know, sign or 12 constellation system from the, um, was it the Babylonians and, you know, this 36 Deccan system from the Egyptians, because what the Egyptians would do is they would track, I guess, like the rising and setting of you know, these different, um, okay, so I have to back up a little bit. So <laughs> back in the day, the Deccans actually used to be associated with fixed stars, right? So like each of these divisions had an important star, which was associated with a deity that you could um, propitiate, petition for whatever you needed to do. Um, or like, say, say you were sick, or say there was like, some particular thing you were trying to accomplish, you would look at, I guess, the 
you know, heliacal rising and setting of like certain stars associated with those decans to, you know, achieve some of those things, right? And so, you know, now the decans are not associated necessarily with those um, stars per se, but, you know, I think it's interesting that in some later traditions, like you could pick whether you would use decans or if you would use something like lunar mansions because the idea is supposed to be similar However, I don't think that the Egyptians were coming at it from the perspective of the moon. Like at the end of the day, it was about, you know, diurnal rotation, which is, you know, the, the motion of the sun. So it's like similar, but different, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So there were these like star clusters that the Egyptians were mapping. Um, I don't know if it was simultaneously, but we're talking like pretty long stretches of time. <laughs> so around, you know, around the same time as like the Babylonians were um, mapping the, the constellations, the signs. Um, and when the Greeks, right. Or the, yeah, the Greeks came and um, you know, took over that land that traditions began to merge um, in, in ancient Greece, then, you know, traditions began to merge and we, we started to put them together. Um, so yeah, this is, this is a, a framework, I guess you could say that comes from ancient Egypt. Um, and throughout time, I wonder when did, I guess like, yeah, when when did we start getting the associations with tarot to the Deccans? Does anyone know? So I think that came later because a lot of the associations that we get come from the Golden Dawn tradition. Um, so that probably had to be like what nineteenth century, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I would imagine. Okay. I mean, perhaps there could be something older that I'm not privy to, but a lot of those attributions. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah. Does do does anyone want to speak more on that? Like the the associations between the Deccans and the the major arcana. Yeah. So um, I can I can go into just like how it works exactly, and then Mo, you can chime in. Um, but. Um, look, as, as you had said, the 12 signs are divided into three decans, meaning there's 36 seconds total. And then there are also 36 tarot cards when you take out the major arcana, the court cards, and then the aces. And so these 36 cards are then divided into four suits that correspond with the four elements that you see in astrology. So wands are fire, pentacles or coins are earth cups um, is water and then swords is air and then so within each suit the cards um th those cards that are left over the 36 cards are numbered between two and ten um so how are these 36 tarot cards then assigned to the 36 decans um you know as i already mentioned they're divided um, into suits that correspond with the elements so cups correspond with the water signs scorpio cancer and pisces and for example and now with then for each of the numbers, two through 10, they correspond with a modality. So the twos, threes, and fours are the cardinal signs. Um, so for example, cancer is a cardinal sign and the three decans of cancer then are associated with the two, three, and four of cups. Five, six, and sevens are the fixed signs. And then eights, nines, and tens are the mutable signs. 
Um, and then furthermore, each planet has a major arcana card that's associated with it, like Jupiter with the Wheel of Fortune. And then each sign has a major arcana card associated with it. So like Cancer and the Chariot. And um, there's even some practitioners, and I, 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 I don't know if this is more modern or if this does come from the Golden Godon or other traditions, but I've also heard of practitioners who even associate the court cards with certain signs, like the knights are mutable signs. Um, they're associated with their respective elements. Um, me and Mo um, referred a lot in our own podcast to T. Susan Chang's book, 36 Secrets. It's an excellent source of on the tarot and the decans that looks at both the major and minor arcana that are associated with each decan. So, I mean, that's kind of it in a nutshell. As, and then I guess like what we tried to do was, you know, like extending on um, T. Susan's like great work. Everyone needs to own that. I will not stop till everyone owns that. <laughs> I know I'm like tempted to go <laughs> grab it for myself. And... Go order it. You need to give her all it's your It's so toys. good. Great. Yeah. Like, um, but no, what like how and I tried to do was to com- extend on her work and combine that with some of what we were you know, inspired by attending, you know, Austin's um, post-Norwag workshop. I was there, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, like ever since I listened to that, obsessed, obsessed. It's so good, it's so good. Oh my God, and so- Yeah, everyone should check that out. Austin Kopik did a whole post-conference workshop at Norwag 2020, Mm -hmm. which was virtual, um, about the 36 decans. And we haven't mentioned Austin yet, but he's sort of like- I don't know, the the prince of the dec- decans, maybe you could say. <laughs> like, <laughs> like um, he ha- he wrote the book. He wrote the book, 36 Faces. Um, I was lucky enough to get one of the first editions, and I also have it signed by him. I got it signed at Norwalk 2019. He was oh very God. drunk. It was like 3 a.m. Can, like, <laughs> can we, speaking of 36 Faces, like I'm waiting for him to drop the second edition. It's coming. Like, what kind of Jupiter magic do we need to do? <laughs> Make it They're doing all the magic, I'm sure. I mean, I think, yeah, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's coming this year, though. I think that I would imagine that he wants to get it out while Jupiter's in Pisces, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's his ninth house. Hoping Published hoping. a new book. I'm sure. I'm sure that's going to happen. Um but I think it'll happen soon. But yeah, Austin Kopic, 36 Faces. Um, he he wrote the book. It's coming back. It's, you know, new editions coming out soon, hopefully, hopefully soon to when this drops. Um, and hopefully gonna have him on the show this season too. We'll see. Um, <laughs> we've talked about it. Um, and yeah, I was actually gonna share my screen and show you guys. Um my birth chart in tarot cards <laughs> so if you're watching oh my God. <laughs> I posted this on Instagram you can find it on Instagram from October 2020 but um yeah I actually laid out I was with um another podcast guest uh Chris Chow who I'm recording with soon um and yeah he came over and visited and we did this so we actually like we're like listening to some of Austin's um, astro tarot class that I took 
like nerding out hardcore <laughs> and like, you know, just like, we should look at this. And Chris and I have similar charts. Um, he was born a couple of days after me. He's a Virgo rising, I'm a Pisces rising. So we were just like, basically have all the same placements almost. Um, and so, yeah, this is really fun looking, looking at it this way. And I would definitely recommend folks do this. So basically um, you take, take out all the major arcana um, this was just planets and signs that I did. So this doesn't have the decans, but, um, this is just kind of piggybacking off of what you were talking about earlier around, um, the associations on um, Pisces rising, the moon sign associated with Pisces. I basically did all of the houses. You lay out all of the houses, um, and then the planets that are in those houses. And it's, it tells a cool story. It's a really cool way of looking at the chart. Um, so I would, I would recommend, and then you could go even further with the decans as well. Yeah. Um, which is great. And so like, I feel like by delving into the decans, like going in through the astrological lens, even just understanding the archetypes of signs and planets, um, and applying that to the tarot cards, it actually unlocked a new way of seeing tarot. So like a couple let me like throw out my two favorite examples. People go, why is temperance associated with Sagittarius? Or, you know, why is the chariot associated with cancer? And it's like, you know, people just see like for the chariot, for example, they just see a guy on like, you know, in a, in a chariot, like with these two, like very intimidating looking, like lion type things, right? Or sphinxes. And they're just like, how could that ever be associated with cancer? I'm like, well, cancer is like represented by an animal with a hard shell and it has claws, right? And on top of that, like the chariot is all about not exerting so much control. Like the control comes through adapting. Mm. And what 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 is cancer but like adapting to new environments so that it can create a familiar, you know, situation? Mm. um for temperance and Sagittarius it's like if you think about like the correspondence between that card and the Thoth deck which is wonderful by the way um that card is actually called um art and what I think of is alchemy and like putting unique things together to come up with something that's inspiring and it's like how is that different from you know Sagittarius like gathering what's around and like putting it together in some like unique combination, like, you know, usually to tell a fun story. Right? I mean, you know, I was, are, I was, yeah. um, I was taught that temperance by my teacher, Lindsay Mack. Um, mm -hmm. She, she kind of described it as like, when you're able to come to the point, come to the realization that you need help from spirit. And it's like, it's, it's like, you're doing all this work, but you need you need some help from spirit too. It's like that combination of like your effort plus like the relinquish like relinquishing of like you know the of control basically um, that that type of alchemy too, which also feels really Sagittarian as well, like and Jupiterian and that. So yeah, that 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 makes a lot of yeah. sense, and that's another reason I also love those associations because it it. Um, it makes you look, think about the archetypes in a different way. Sure. Like, and so, I mean, I hope we were able to do this, but 
I feel like, you know, the marriage of like the actual, you know, tarot symbolism itself, but also, you know, the thousands of years of, you know, what different people were saying about the Deccans, like just kind of makes you think about tarot, but also astrology in a different way. And I don't know about you, pal, but like whenever I was sitting there with Austin, like, and going through his like um, seminar about it, like just thinking about, wow, like, I would argue that out of all the essential dignities, um, Deccan or face or whatever you want to call it, is there's a lot that's like more symbolic. Like it's not like, oh, this works good or bad. It's like it's it's more like descriptive. That's how I felt anyway. My yeah, on that, like one of my takeaways from Austin's workshop on the Deccans when trying to think about like trying to trying to compare how the Deccans are with the other five or the other four essential dignities. Um, I remember the way he had described it is that a planet in its own Deccan is like a like a secret superpower. Um, because when you look at the other dignities, um a lot of those planets have those dignities um, in like kind of like a, it's like it's not really through your own merit. It's not like um, it's you know, by title or, you know, or inheritance. Like, for example, when a planet's like a domicile lord, right, it's like we're really thinking like it's a king who rules his kingdom and how do kings become kings? It's like an inherited title. Um and so, whereas he he said with Deccans, right, like we have to really note that look like Deccans is the weakest, it's considered the weakest of the five essential dignities. Um, Austin, I remember he worded it as like, it's like being, it's like a, a like the Deccan, like a Deccan ruler is like being a panhandler, but at the same time, it's like, okay, but this, this panhandler also just like whatever money he collects or, you know, his survival through the world is still like through 100%, like his own merit and his own effort. Mm. So that was just kind of like another takeaway. Like, yes, I do think the Deccans can be a lot more symbolic and descriptive, but I think they can also just speak more to, um, I guess what our own, like, how do I say this? Yeah. Just like our own efforts and like our own merits too. And like the, what our planets, like what those are the plants in our natal charts do. It, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, that's so, that's a really great point. And I feel like, um, yeah, I remember the way I remember him putting it that kind of clicked for me is um, it's sort of like being in a video game. And when you like reach a certain level, aka certain part of the Zodiac, you get like, you know, an up like a, like a new um, power is unlocked, basically. Um, or something like that. Like you get this sort of special power <laughs> when when a planet is in its own decan that it's like, yeah, it's it just it's something different. It's not like different from that planet, but you get like this very, very particular expression of that planet. Um yeah. Deccan do you have any I don't have, do any. have any that's planets? why I think it's oh. hard for me to like conceptualize I don't have any plan I don't have any planets that um yeah have dignity by Deccan rulership how about you guys Mars. <laughs> yeah Mars. we both have that leo mars but, but it's tricky because it's uh, uh, that le- for me and, and but my leo mars is also in its own bound so it's bound oh, wow. and yeah oh wow okay Interesting. I wonder if I if I would look in the other um, system, I might have one, but I don't I don't even remember ever seeing one there. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, maybe we should talk a little bit of, a little bit about how they're used because um, like you said, we can use them as like a part of essential dignity and it's the lessest of all the dignities. <laughs> um, I usually don't say like, you know, a or primary and lesser, I usually say primary and secondary, but um, it is pretty much like, it's not, it's, it's definitely not like having a planet in domicile or exaltation or even triplicity. Um, it's a different type of like, yeah, benefit you get. That's kind of low key. It kind of feels a little stealthy, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Like I kind of want to like build on top of that, like imagery of the Deccans describing like a skill. And, and I think this would be louder in, like for certain planets like Venus, for example, who has, I think all of her Deccans are in signs where she is facilitated. If we go mm -hmm. by the system anyway mm -hmm. um but one way you can think about like a planet that has a decan and a sign that would be considered like an enemy sign or like a sign that would be like where it's very very peregrine as in like there's no triplicity whatsoever right um is that you know you're in enemy territory and you have a skill that can help you survive so it's like you know maybe i'm you know, descended from, you know, prisoners of like war or something, but the only way to like make it in a country that doesn't respect me is to sell this craft or like do this performance or like serve this very particular function. Mm. And so I see a lot of it like that. Yeah, I'm just going to show another visual here. Um, Cause yeah, Venus does have decans and all of the signs that it, um, find stability in Virgo, the sign of its fall, um, Aries, the sign of its detriment, and um, Scorpio, the sign of its detriment. And other signs too, where it, you know, it otherwise would be peregrine, like Aquarius, um, not Sag, where else Aquarius, Cancer, it's not peregrine, but yeah, so that's really, that's a really great point. Um, does Mars have that? In any, I think Mars, yeah, Mars has that in Cancer, right? Oh, no, it doesn't. Is it just so Venus that has that? Uh, so, oh, wait, Mars has, I think it's just Venus, and I would say Venus, Mercury, and I want to say Jupiter. Because Jupiter, Jupiter has that beckon in Capricorn. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's got one in Gemini as well. Cool, okay. Cool. Yeah, that is a really cool way of, and I tend to pull on that with Venus, especially in Virgo, um, because Venus also rules a nice chunk of term, <laughs> a nice mm -hmm. chunk of bounds in, in Virgo too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a great point. And then, and then you have Mars, the first, you know, first couple of degrees of Scorpio being like the most, the most intense Mars in the entire zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, like we were saying, we can use this as a, you know, as a way of assessing essential dignity in a planet. Um, but how, what are other ways you use the Deccans for? I, I want to add to that on top of looking at which Deccan your planets fall in, it's also really worth looking at where your angles, which Deccan your angles fall in, mm. as well as the lots. 
um, like another takeaway from Austin's um, workshop was him saying that the lot of the Deccan that your lot of spirit falls in describes the core meaning of your life. And like, for example, like my lot of spirit is in that third Deccan of Capricorn, which um, Austin calls the throne and is represented by the four of pentacles. And so tarot. you, <laughs> and it's very, I know it's very, it's very 100% me. It's, um, you know, I, I am a leader, but I, it's almost always going to be like very, very behind the scenes. Like I'm very much like the kind of person who really just like wants to be like organized and like train, you know, our spokespeople and stuff. Like I'm actually really, really rarely on camera for someone who's a communications director. Fourth um, house Leo Stellium. <laughs> yeah, it is. I know it's so fourth house Leo, but um, and it's in my ninth house. So I think even just going back to what I was saying earlier in this episode, just my thinking about like I, I, I'm a really, really good teacher and um, and a mentor, and it is I, I think kind of just the next step in this period of life for me. You know what? Like I think I think also about that last decade of Capricorn is like you know who gets to decide how we use and distribute resources. And I think a lot about, you know, you and challenging labor structure. Mm, Well, can we just say what it's ruled by the sun in the Chaldean system, right? Um, So the triplet. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's where we get the, what was it? Something about the throne? Yeah. 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 And we didn't really say that, but like, that's another big thing about the Deccans that is very different from all the other types of essential dignity is that there's, there tends to be imagery associated with it, whether we're talking about the tarot card. Um, but yeah, throughout time, right. There's been these kind of like images or I don't know. Yeah. That's the only word I can think of (laughs) images or symbols (laughs) or whatever associated with each of the Deccans. And, um, that was a big part of Austin's book, his first edition, and that's a big part of the second edition. I think that's actually what has um, kept kept it up for so long. Is like they're you know been working through the image, the creating the okay. illustrations, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like you were saying, sorry uh, about your, the the third decade of Capricorn, where your part of spirit is. I definitely feel that about mine too. I mean. Once I learned about the second decan of Libra, <laughs> um, which is where my Venus is um, and my part of spirit is um, there at the very edges. I have Venus at 10, Libra, and part of spirit at 19. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just like, damn. I mean, I call, I renamed the second decan of Libra the bondage decan. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, the, yes. it's the bondage second. As soon as like Austin started to, to describe that in the workshop, and I was like, oh, okay, so bondage, like BDSM, is ruled by Saturn. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's very peak Saturn. You know, this is where Saturn exalts. Um, and the reason I call it the bondage second is because it's about making these like commitments, these like bonds, really, and these like these commitments that have to do with like trust and um, it's almost like a commitment like that, like marriage, you could say, I think the imagery that he uses in the book is like wedding rings or something that are like interlocked or whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, which brings up so much like devil card and imagery, like Capricorn imagery too, just like being chained or 
locked to something. Um, but yeah, the trust that can that's required for that, but also like the equalizing aspect of a commitment like that. Um, how commitments can, yeah, kind of put you on equal equal footing in a lot of ways. Um, and that shit, like, just thinking about that, like, makes me <laughs> makes me feel like excited. Feel, I want to ask how you feel about like that narrative playing out with like both the lot of spirit and its ruler being in like your eighth house. The eighth yeah. house, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that there's, it definitely feels eighth housey to me. Like it feels like talking about that is exciting, but at the same time, it feels there's almost like a doomed feeling to it as well, <laughs> which to me, the eighth house has a doomed feeling to it. Like just in and of itself, like where it is in the sky is when the sun is setting basically, but um, it's just sort of, it's the idle place. It's when it's like hanging out in that weird space in the sky um so it's like you can see what's coming <laughs> you can see the ground <laughs> and you're just like in that part of you know and that kind of waiting for for death to come that's the it's the gate of hades um i also have the asteroid lucifer exactly conjunct my <laughs> venus <laughs> i love that and i have a lucifer venus it's super morning star venus um mm. So yeah, I have a like I've been I've been like over, I think over the past year coming into a new relationship with my eighth house that's still sort of like you know blossoming and next year I'll be in an eighth house year so I'll have a lot more to say about it I'm sure um, but yeah there's something about I think I think even like the commitment like yeah the commitment piece feeling like both something that is like the security it's almost like being like let's go to hell together you know <laughs> you know like that type of vibe it's like yeah. let's yeah I don't know that's that's kind of what comes comes to me you guys have all the fun like a lot of stare at things I just have um, you think that's fun yeah I mean I have mine in like what mine's in the sweet spot of Virgo like yeah it's in the sweet spot of Virgo what does that mean um it's got like big artisan energy right like, <laughs> you know like oh let's like put all this effort into like looking good being good great but it's just like you know that's playing out in my house of like relationships and contracts mm. and things like that and something that i've thought about is you're talking about the Chiron. second yeah the second decade like, Chiron's actually in that decade oh so, um and, you know, there are lots of themes about, like, you know, how much am I willing to commit with other people versus, like, you know, needing to be alone. <laughs> As I also think of the imagery of the Nine of uh, Pentacles, which has, you know, a very luxurious woman who is on her own. And so, you know, I've been unpacking that imagery. Yeah, like. Yeah. I think I also need, I think it's also showing up in my desire to like cultivate like an artistic practice. And I feel like I'm trying to mm. partner with people who can help me do that. That's something mm. that I've tapped into mm. a lot more. I love that. My chart ruler is there. I have my chart ruler in the sweet spot because it's in Venus's terms too. Love that. that is awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I like the the nine of pentacles imagery that's associated with this deck in is so loud to me. Um, mm -hmm. 
and I think of nine of pentacles, I think of when I always come back to what Austin said in that workshop around that bird, I forget what type of bird it is, but you know, in the traditional wider rider weight, um, there's, like you said, a woman in a garden alone, but she's like holding this little bird. And it's this bird that like is basically able to just like kill pests and it just like comes around it. Like, you know, you let it loose. I think it's kind of like, I don't know the word, um, like quality it's, control. it's quality control, but I think the bird itself, like, just like goes ham or something like it, it's like wearing like a helmet or something to keep yeah. it from like seeing because <laughs> it's like one of those things like once it like once it goes it, like doesn't it's like hard to like get it to stop maybe I don't know I might be whatever but um yeah it's basically quality control like you said and there's very Virgo in quality to that in and of itself of like okay harvest is almost ready you know like there's abundance all around us. Let's pick out, let's like picking out, you know, the bad eggs, basically, um, weeding the garden and getting out the pests so that we can celebrate this feast. Um, yeah, I love that. How about, are there any other points that kind of stand out for you guys? I mean, how about, I know the ascendant, um, the decan of the ascendant degree is a big one too, right? And that can kind of speak to... Yeah. Well. Do you want to kind of s speak to what those might signify, like what to kind of look for in those? Um, at least for your midheaven, I would say like certain elements of like, okay, so I'm team, you know, whole sign slash equal houses perspective on the midheaven because usually it's floating around. And so uh, someone on the astrology podcast said this and I it's stuck with me ever since like, because uh, she was like a equal house person. I can't remember her name right now. But um, I think they were on the episode about like aspect patterns, I believe. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. They were talking she about She was great patterns. though. It was great. But anyway, um, so when you have equal or whole sign houses, the midheaven is not always in the same place as the 10th house. And so what she was explaining is that um, when you have the floating MCIC axis, that becomes your personal experience of, you know, what your life purpose is versus, you know, what you feel like your private life slash, you know, your origins are. Whereas like the 10th um, whole sign or equal sign house and fourth house become like the observable experience of, you know, your public life versus, you know, like your home life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, when you have the degree of your midheaven in a particular, I would say this is about the terms as well, like pay attention to what planet is ruling, but like for the decans, because there's more of like a, there's more of like an obvious like imagery or narrative. Like I think the themes or archetypes associated with the decan that your midheaven is in often relates to the career that you're in or the the way you approach your like career or like if you're not like a career person like how you feel about your life purpose or what you feel your life purpose should be that's awesome yeah it started pinging some stuff do we have you have your midheaven in the second degree or sorry second decan massage yeah I do. Yeah, yeah same um yeah and then how about the ascendant do you guys have anything to share I mean we have the same ascendant <laughs> degree too Mo. 
not the ascendant i find that like i mean what i remember i had that whole like thread on appearance like ages ago but like i don't think you can look at deccans alone for appearance and stuff i would say like certain elements of like the way you move through life um are captured by the deck in your ascendant is in so like kira i don't know if you feel this way about our ascendant but you know a lot of the imagery of wandering and like needing to abandon things in search of like treasure i feel like that's my whole life mm-hmm. wishing i was somewhere else being somewhere else going somewhere else like I'm always <laughs> very much i mean you are a third house person but i do feel like that for sure um especially i mean i feel like even lately i think with like my 12th house saturn return but just and we're talking about the first decan of um pisces which is ruled by saturn um what is it does um austin call it the labyrinth yes okay so yeah the, the the imagery you can think of like a labyrinth and wandering is is something that i am starting to prioritize more and more in my life like in my everyday life and i think it's something that we um that a lot of modern day people or people in um you know especially western societies and just especially yeah i'll just say that especially in western societies but i'm speaking obviously on the us what i know most um we don't get that we don't have the privilege of being able to wander on a regular basis <laughs> i think that it's to our detriment. You know, I think that like just human beings as creatures were, were meant to be walking around <laughs> and wandering and, and exploring and, um, and just having just wandering is about just like walking around or, or moving around with no agenda, no place to go. Um, and it's so freeing and so, so important for me, I think. And that's also just, I think, yeah, it's kind of a, a way I move through life too. Like I definitely am very purposeful and driven and have a, like certain directions, but at the same time, I'm like, it's kind of like the kind of the big picture of it is very like, well, I'll just see what happens. <laughs> it's just like going with the flow. Like we're just, you know, it, it does feel kind of labyrinthy life in and of itself. Um yeah, I think the one last thing I would want to add on how the Deccans can help us really understand these different angles in our chart is like, you know, you're showing us that Instagram post where you had laid out your natal chart and the cards associated with it. Like, I, I think it could really deepen like your astrology and your tarot practice to even do that with just the angles in your chart. Um, you know, something for one, it'll help you understand how oppositions work because every single one of us has an opposition in our chart, even if it is just the ascendant, descendant, MC and the IC. Mm -hmm. Um, and then two, like, yeah, I mean, just to kind of really sit there and just see like, okay, like you've like, in my case, like my ascendant is in that second decan of Taurus, which means my descendant is in the second decan of Scorpio. Like even just seeing those two cards, the, um, the six of pentacles versus the six of cups side by side together helps me understand like who I am versus, you know, what my relationships are like, or if you do the same thing with the midheaven and then the IC, it's like my public life versus my private life. Yeah. Yeah. I want to also piggyback off of that. I mean, if you're a quadrant cusp person, 
have a field day doing all of your like axes because I think it will be um, really enlightening 100%. Yeah. And if you do equal signs, I would recommend doing all the houses that, sorry, equal house, whatever, sorry, equal house. If you do equal house, like I would recommend looking at all the cards that are square like you know that share modality because you'll start to see like the archetypal Mm -hmm. and it's something that I feel is very underrated yeah yeah there's something about just it pairing the imagery with the knowledge that you already have that unlocks so much um it's a really it's a really beautiful practice to to pair the tarot with astrology in that way um yeah, and I think I feel I feel like I remember reading that the ancients did kind of look at your rising decan in regards to your health and like vitality and you know yeah matters of the body as well um, and probably like the the maybe the condition of the ruler of that decan or something um, but especially term too that all matters found in term. Maybe we should do an episode on that too. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. So yeah, we kind of talked about um, the dignity and and how the correspondences work. Um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit. I mean, we we gave some good examples. I would kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the decans of Aries, um, just because we're in Aries season when this releases and. Um, yeah, might might be nice to kind of just zero in on that one. Um, so I'm gonna pull that up again. But yeah, I mean, we start with Aries when it comes to the Deccan system with with Mars um ruling the first 10 degrees. And then, and we should kind of specify if folks are out there with like, what if, what if I'm at 10 degrees, like my Venus is at 10 degrees um of Libra and it's in the second decan. So the decans, the first decan of any sign is going to start at zero degrees of that sign. And the first second ends at nine degrees, 59 minutes of that sign. Mm-hmm. Once we get into the 10th degree, that starts the second decan. Um, and then again, that goes until the 19 degrees, 59 minutes. And then the 20th degree starts the last 10 degrees, um, the last decan of that sign. So if you have any planets between zero degrees and nine degrees, 59 minutes of Aries, um, that's, that's the Mars rule decan of Aries. Um, yeah. Does anyone want to talk a little bit about that decan? Like, I love how you pointed out earlier, Kira, that like, if you think about, um, actually, I think with, wait, I need to make sure that I'm correct. If I remember correctly, in both the triplicity system and this Chaldean Ptolemaic system, the last decade of Pisces and the first decade of Aries are double Mars decades. So yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Mars is the only, at least in the Chaldean system, is the only planet that gets, um, what is it, six decades instead of five, like everything else. Mm-hmm. And you can just see this, like, if we want to go with the Aries as the first sign, Pisces as the last sign, you could see it as, like, the starting and ending, you know, like, you start giving shape to something by forging it in fire, right? 
but you can also melt down something that is no longer useful by forging it again. I say this because Mars is associated with forgery. So and also uh, violent yeah. childbirth. <laughs> yes, it's like birth, birth, birth being you know it's not always violent and messy and painful, but you know tends to be tends to be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, birth being this sort of like violent and intense entry into the world, which is very much this yeah Martian experience, and then also death. Um, being a potentially Martian experience too, um, and re-entering, you know, the underworld. Basically, I think of like the sixth house as, as Mars's realm, and it's like once you get past that descendant, you're in the sixth house, and you know, it's back to the underworld. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, this is a very like initiatory decan. It's like you could think of it in terms of, like clearing space so that you can like start civilization almost if we want to go there like that's the imagery i see a lot because usually like if you look at you know that this decade is described it's usually a person like who's very fierce has an axe and is like ready to swing it like indiscriminately so yeah i think austin calls this duck in the axe right literally yes yeah yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. the two the two of wands is associated with this deck which is which is funny because when you look at the traditional writer weight imagery it's it's not violent at all um but but it does depict someone who you know I, I, it looks like a you know a Western explorer is holding a globe in his hand, and that in itself you know it, it allusions to imperialism and conquest, very very violent. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a, such a good point. Um, yeah, yeah, that's an incredible point. There's also just the imagery of the two wands and kind of symbolizing a door opening or like a portal to step through. Um, And yeah, again, that sort of entry, I just, you know, penetration, it just feels so Martian, like (laughs) cutting, you know, cutting through something to to clear the way. Um, Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that's the first second of Aries, very Martian. And so like, what would... What would you say, like, how how would people kind of apply this to their charts if they have a planet or a point here? So I would say that, like, the planet would express itself in those narratives. So, like, for example, I've had a lot of clients in that, like, you know, the very first, like, generation of proper, like, Sagittarius um, Plutos who all have, like, their Mar- sorry, like, their Saturn in this decade. And Usually it's them like bucking some kind of trend when it comes to like whatever Saturn is ruling in their chart. So like Saturn mm-hmm. is already our time in Aries because it's the sign where it's fallen. You're kind of shirking limits, expectations, norms, uh, things like that. Usually breaking away from some, you know, restrictions imposed by other people to pursue like a set of rules, principles, and what have you that are new and fresh for you to commit to, right? Mm. Um, You know, if it's Mercury, you probably, you know, 
I don't know, like want to write things that are like kind of avant-garde and out there, or like maybe you have a very aggressive way of speaking so that you can like sort of cut through the BS, you know, it's things like that. Like, so just kind of like try to imagine how like a planet would behave using some of those archetypes. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. One of my good friends is a triple Pisces, like someone rising, but she has Mercury in early, <laughs> in early Aries. And like, she can talk when she, especially when she like gets really excited about something like uh, she'll just trip over her words. Like it's that she cannot speak fast enough for how, you know, how fast her Mercury wants to, wants to express itself. Um, and then she can, she can say some zingers, you know, she can cut you <laughs> with, uh, with her words if she, if she wants. Um, yeah. What were you going to say, pal? Yeah. I, I wanted to just quickly throw out, I, I'm, I had the notes from our podcast episode for the Aries Deccan. So in terms of just some very quick celebrity examples, um, oh, nice. the, um, the quarterback Russell Wilson has Mars in this Deccan ruling his 10th house. And so, wow. I mean, clearly he's like a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Yeah. So, very the quarterbacks literal. are the ones that are like, you know, cutting through shit. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of like a non-Mars planet, so Fergie has Sun and Jupiter, um, the singer, not not um, Princess Fergie, but the, our Duchess Fergie, but uh, she has Sun and Jupiter in the 10th house here. And just to think that, you know, she got big with the Black Eyed Peas, but then immediately like forged this solo career that she's mostly mm-hmm. like known for now. That's so, that's such a good point. Yeah. Wow. I think Diana Ross is another good example of people with... Uh planets here in this first decade of Aries and her um you know she became famous because of the group but you know she had a bigger and better solo career Mm -hmm. pretty much damn now this makes me want to look at like all the charts of people who split away from (laughs) split away from groups I mean Um, I don't think Beyonce has anything in early Aries, but mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe something else in a Mars second. Um, how about Deccan number two of Aries, um, ruled by the sun? Um, so I like thinking about like the progression of the Deccans of Aries as like the starting of civilization, right? Or like starting a new colony somewhere as Pal like so eloquently mentioned about like the first um decan so if you think about like the three of wands even like there's this guy who's got all these wands and he's like waiting for somebody to come back right and he's like got all like he's got all this like land and like vast expanse in front of him so now it's just like you're basically like you know if you think of the sun as like a monarch or like a ruler or like the leader it's like okay you're the example you're standing out and what's even better is that the sun's exaltation degree falls within this decan it's like you're going out and being seen and like if you think about the sun and like its gravitational pull you're also attracting people to want to come around you right Mm -hmm. so it's like how to lead and put yourself out there so that you can like you know step into this vacuum and like fill it with things that you know are reflective of you and like I guess what you're trying to project. That's how I see this. Hmm. As someone with their moon there, (laughs) I'm going to, yeah, I feel like that, that hits for sure. Um, Especially in like a nice second house way for me, because I feel like 
just having a second house luminary feels very like I always say luminaries in dark houses, you know, shine light where there's it tends to be dark. And I like to talk about money, <laughs> um, especially like in our within our field, right? Within like this profession. And I'm all about making astrologers more money, you know, and helping us um be more prosperous and and all the ways we can. And so yeah, I don't know. I feel like we don't get a lot of people. I'm not trying to like toot my own horn or anything, but just just to kind of speak on like you know a luminary and and a luminary's decan in the second house. Like that's something I I definitely want to keep doing and do more of is like shedding light on um, just how we handle money in this industry because like. Just, you know, I, one of one of the conferences, I'm not going to name names, but like is looking for volunteers to work at the conference and not just volunteers, but they have to pay <laughs> like a deposit basically in order to do this. And they only get a portion of it back. And it's like, this is not, we can't do, we can't keep doing it this way. You know what I mean? Like we can't keep asking people to, work for no pay for like very minimal personal benefit um especially during a pandemic but (laughs) (laughs) i will not get off oh yeah let's not do the sun exalted sun thing and take up all the space on this (laughs) um my bestie has their son there in the second too um and yeah, I mean, I think they're in this process of like kind of realizing what that means for them. And a big part of it is like being seen and being seen for like who they are um, and, you know, whatever. I don't know. I, I, they've just been in this very much like this becoming, this process of becoming, you know, um, and it's been really cool to see. And yeah, it just, I always think about their exalted son in the sun's decan as like them they're kind of becoming more and more comfortable around like being seen for just who they are um I think Mm. eventually like we'll kind of step into some bigger leadership positions you know as they kind of become more and more I hope if you're listening to this Ted's I love you um But yeah, so yeah. Do you have any other like cool examples for second decan or second decan people? I do. So um, just to rattle them off real quick, um, Hugh Hefner has his son in this decan. I laughed when I heard Mo talking about like, you know, gathering people around you. I mean, he literally had a Playboy bunny mansion. But um, Linda Goodman also has her son here and it's in the first house. And I just really love this for her because, you know, she's known for her Wonder Woman days but she's still big on Twitter and she's been popping up on my feed a lot like recently and stuff. Um, Yeah. Amazing. Wonder woman has (laughs) Aries sun in the sun second. Wow. Wow. Amazing. And that's so like, I don't know. Wonder woman is such like an Aries type figure too. Just like the leader archetype, especially yeah. Isn't she the, a, isn't she the daughter of Aries in the mythology? Not the mythology. The I guess the DC. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right? I'm trying to remember. It sounds right to me. (laughs) I'm not the one. I'm not the one. By the way, everyone, we're recording this like during a Mercury station. So I think, I don't know, we're doing our best (laughs) to remember stuff, but we tried. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, let's talk about second three of Aries ruled by Venus. This is one of those places we were talking about earlier where um, despite being in detriment and otherwise having no other dignity, no triplicity here. Um, no, I don't think there's term rulership here, but maybe there is. Um, no, but not, regardless, not in, part. not in this part. Okay. So, no. so yeah, but we have this kind of secret, secret weapon <laughs> Deccan rulership um, of Venus ruling the third Deccan of of Aries. So yeah. Anyone have anything to talk to say about this, this Deccan? I love this Deccan because like it's also a Deccan that Jupiter co-rules. So the both benefics do really well here. Um, you know, I like this Deccan because it's one of the Deccans that Austin also says has big propagandist energy. And, you know, <laughs> as someone with an Aries Venus in this Deccan, absolutely, I totally see it. Like there's something about being able to um, I guess rally people, not necessarily in the way that um Leo three would be able to, but like, you know, being able to forge like really intense relationships with people like that are like inspiring. And so like, I feel like that's been showing up for me lately in terms of like my client work, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to like coach people through um, things that are going on. I've also seen a lot of people who have the moon here who kind of have like life coach motivational type energy or something like that i think anderson cooper has his moon in the second of mm-hmm. um Aries. <laughs> and you know it rules his it rules his 10th house and so like i think of like his style of like interviewing and talking to people because it's like you're touching people emotionally and making them feel like really intense emotions which might be used to mobilize people around, you know, causes that are important. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I have Jupiter in this Deccan. So it's the other planet in the triplicity order that rules um, this Deccan and also very, the, the, the propaganda um, descriptions definitely resonate with me. Like my job is I, I'm literally a communications director. Like I have to constantly come up with propaganda. It's my job. Um, so I find it really, really fitting. Um, uh, Austin has also described this Deccan as being like, I remember he used the words weaponized charm. Mm. And I know the celebrity example he had given was Marilyn Monroe has Venus in this Deccan. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Weaponized charm is really good. And I also love like, yeah, the propagandist because it's like this Aries like you know you could say martian um um sort of archetype of like how could you say like forcefully doing things you know like being really direct and forceful you might say aggressive or even just direct um but then like making it cute (laughs) with the venus and jupiter you know making it like um jupiter especially like really inspirational um, and attaching meaning to it and purpose to it, I think. Um, yeah, 
definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Weaponized, um, weaponized beauty. I love that. <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Do you guys want to talk about any of the Deccans of Taurus since you have <laughs> planets there? Um, I'll let Pal lead off on. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Let's start with Taurus one. This one is, um, I believe Mercury and Venus ruled. Is that correct? Yeah. And so Austin calls this the plow. So, you know, when we, in Aries, in the Aries seconds, we had all this kind of like militarized conquest, um, imagery in the Taurus decans and, uh, and you know in some of the other earth decans as well you see a lot of agricultural references and mm-hmm. so you'll see that in Taurus you know it's earth sign blah 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 um the my moon is in this decan and so is um the moon's exaltation degree is also in this decan and it, it T. Susan Chan calls this like the Lord of worry, I believe. Yeah. Mm. Um, And, or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's not the Lord of worry, but if you look at the, if you look at the five of pentacles, right, you see these two people who clearly have had a rough go at life who are outside (laughs) of a church in what looks like cold or dreary weather. And this, this really begins the Taurus story of, um, you know, of scarcity, like having resources and then things going wrong <laughs> again. And, um, and how do you constantly just kind of prepare? How do you deal with these cycles of scarcity and abundance, which just come up in everyone's lives, like time and time again? Um, this is the worry part, <laughs> the scarcity part of this story. Um, having the moon here is, it's funny because I, I do have this exalted moon, but I definitely could feel like there's just, I, I feel this constant pull to constantly be planning and worrying even when things are really, really okay and like abundant. So, yeah, um, I wanted to make a comment because I just thought of this now. Like I, I just thought of, you know, like the hero fan, like being Taurus's card and being like, like the the spiritual gatekeeper in a sense that like you know this is the person who teaches you how to like do like daily devotionals like live out important principles right and like I I think of the fact that like the Taurus um, decans if we go from the tarot point of view starts out with you know two people struggling outside of a church right Mm. but I think of the fact that we end with uh Taurus 3 which Austin calls the prayer beads and like that's just so loud to me like you know it's like okay either like we got ourselves in a pickle or this is like worst case scenario like I think there's like this hesitation towards you know like do we turn to I guess certain elements of tradition or like you know certain structures where people can help us like sustain ourselves or do we just like kind of stubbornly go it alone I can definitely Mm -hmm. see it with people like especially who have placements in that Hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting to kind of break break into like the yeah Taurus this place where um Venus and the moon you know find comfort and rejoice in in some way but then it's like you kind of forget about the like what happens when we go without <laughs> without like the abundance and um 
yeah that the venus and moon provide um yeah how about how about taurus too this one is moon and mercury rolled i believe and um austin calls this one seed and soil so again we're continuing <laughs> this so he called the previous deck in the plow this one's now seed and soil and when you look at the six of pentacles you can see why because now you have completely different imagery of um clearly a well-to-do man now giving alms to um or you know donations to to poor individuals. And you can tell in the Rider Waite imagery that they perhaps they're the same individuals that we saw outside of the church in the first car in the Five of Pentacles, um, because you can see the patches and the clothes of the figure who is like closest to you in the card. And um, I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, again, this one's, mo this is Moon Mercury ruled. Um, I, I, th I feel like in some ways this is this decan out of the three is just so, 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 so fixed because I think it just kind of really speaks to, you know, you see the scales in that imagery and it just reminds me, you know, again, like success comes from consistently balanced action mm. over time. It's consistency. Mm. And so here you had in this, the, you know, the previous decan was the plow and it's like, okay, that's like that hard, like rough like just a grueling action and then now you're at seed and soil it's like okay this is like the planting and like the reaping stage mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense yeah this is why I love talking about the Deccans and talking about the tarot imagery because you really do get you get you can get so deep with the archetypes of each of the signs um Ex yeah I, I I feel like it really deepened the Taurus archetype for me especially because I remember being like first learning astrology and reading this kind of the stereotypes of Taurus and struggling with it a lot because for me it personally just didn't resonate and I mm -hmm. feel like this really adds some complexity to the stereotypical like oh Tauruses are materialistic and um you know that kind of thing yeah for sure I love how for this decade Austin brought up like work-life balance but also just like the you know the it's almost like thinking about like the laws of physics in a way because it's like you know for every action there's like an equal but opposite reaction and things like that right and so I think about like the balance between, you know, like who's getting um, rewarded for like the work that they put in and, or who didn't, right? And I mm. think of the fact that we have Karl Marx, who is a solar eclipse in this decade of Taurus, um, whose whole legacy was, you know, um, coming up with this framework for understanding how uh, capitalism, you know, basically strips people of their agency and labor and you know, distorts that balance between like the compensation that people are due for the labor that they actually put in to a process. Do you know what degree that's at by chance? His um eclipse. Hold on, let me... I'm curious because I just started um obsessing over <laughs> I saw this like meme that was like <laughs> that was like uh on September 25th, 1926. Henry Ford um, announced, like, created the first five-day, 40-hour work week. Um, everyone boo Henry Ford or whatever. Okay, and then so. so I was like, I got to look at that. And then th that chart is 
wild um and it's getting pinged a lot this year so i'm curious uh, what what did so his eclipse oh wow it's like a north node eclipse his moon is at 11 degrees taurus his sun is at 13 degrees taurus okay wow yeah so that's getting pinged for sure we have an eclipse in taurus um in a couple of weeks after this episode releases on, on April 30th. Degrees, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we get another one around 11 or, tw- or around 12, I think. Right. Or maybe yeah, a, in, uh, I think it's like October Oct- or no. So t- November, 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 November. Yeah. November. Um, yeah, that's wild. Okay. Cause this chart for the 40 hour work week <laughs> is like fixed T square madness. Um, it's like moon, Mars, and in Taurus Mars is at like 18 Taurus um I think maybe 18 I think 19 maybe between 17 and 19 and then Saturn's at 22 Scorpio and Jupiter is at like 17 Aquarius Neptune and Leo and late Leo so this summer we get that Mars Uranus um Rahu conjunction and at 18 degrees of Taurus, which is like right on the that charts Taurus. Wow. <laughs> and it's also Saturn's gonna be in an exact square to that chart Saturn, like on like it's transiting that Jupiter. It's just lots happening to that chart of the 40-hour work week. Um and it just makes me think of just the ongoing, you know, labor movement that's happening right now and the Uranus. Saturn squares and yeah, we'll see. That's just interesting. I didn't realize that Mark's, I never looked at Mark's chart, but I didn't realize that there was, um, He's yeah. also an Aquarius rising. Wow. So, okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, interesting. In Pisces, so yeah. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, my dad has, um, he was born during the Jupiter Saturn conjunction in Taurus, um, wow. at 11 Taurus and Uranus is there right now, and he just finally retired at 81. <laughs> Uranus returned, basically. Um, but yeah, Uranus came to his Jupiter, Saturn, and Taurus, and he's no longer a working man, which is amazing because he's been, you know, he's, he was born 1940. He's been working since he was a kid. Um, wow. Yeah. So yeah, thinking about that, well, what made me think of that was when you were talking about, you know, long work, consistent work over time pays off. And like, that's why my dad took so long to retire. He's been working literally in a laborers union for like the past 40, 50 years. Um, Yeah, I think it's been over 50 years because I think he started in the 60s or something like that. But, um, But he wanted to wait until the cars were paid off, the house was paid off, like our student loan debt was like, he worked until he paid off everything that he wanted to pay off. Um, And yeah, he finally retired. And that just feels so second decade of Taurus to me, um, the way you were describing it. Yeah. Let's talk about the third while we're here. (laughs) Third decade of Taurus. So Ooh, this one's double Saturn. Yeah, I have my son here. So um, yeah, the prayer beads. So like, I love how Austin refers to this as like the insurance policy decan. <laughs> okay, um, you know, 
I know the depiction of the uh, Seven of Pentacles is like, you know, somebody who's like working hard at like crops, like trying to make them grow and like maybe they're not growing enough. So like I always interpret this one of two ways. It's like, you know, either something beyond your control happened and like you have to negotiate with the fates like to, um, you know, make it work out better next time. Or like I always see it as like, you know, you're overwatering your garden being overprepared and like in doing so you're killing your garden mm-hmm. <laughs> so i find that you know um people with planets here tend to like embody those themes and i find that you know forces who were born during this part of the season are like not necessarily like the squishier flowery taurus just because it's a double saturn second mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. our algal tauruses <laughs> yeah yeah, I um, I rarely draw this card, but when I do, like it has stood out to me because one one time I drew this card on a day where I learned the hard way, like why I should not schedule a COVID vaccine right before I have to lead like a really important meeting. I did not feel good during that meeting and lesson learned. <laughs> um, and then the second time, like more recently I drew it, it was right before, it was like a couple of months before I knew I was going to leave my last job. And when I drew it, I suddenly just kind of had this inspiration to just list out every worst case scenario that could happen um, on my like last day of work. Um, like, you know, my medical insurance lapsing <laughs> or, you know, finding out that, you know, I only have like six weeks or, you know, like four weeks worth of vacation I'm going to get cashed out for and not the like six or eight weeks that I thought. And like, as I wrote things out, there were actually some things like I really realized like, oh, I could, if I get ahead of this now, it's going to be okay. And it did end up being okay. Mm, Okay. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. I feel like for my son placement, because it rules my sixth house um, and it's in the third, like some of it is like literally describing my life as a scientist. Like we do experiments and all they do is not fucking work. And um, (laughs) that's that's literally like my day to day experience you do this and it's like why the hell did this not work and it's just like constantly having to like contingency plan to figure out like how to make something work or troubleshoot something um I think also like uh how do I put this like there's elements of it that has to do with like for the fact that my work has to do with like, you know, studying the causes of disease, how to like cure, prevent disease. Like literally that's like a lot of my working life thus far has revolved around that. So like, it's, it's quite um, literal. Yeah. I, I have a really good example. That's a good segue from that. I shared this on our podcast too, but Charles Pfizer, the founder of Pfizer Pharmaceuticals has his Saturn here. Wow. And obviously we know Pfizer now because, you know, they're one of the major producers of the COVID vaccine, but you know, when he was alive, so it's in his first house too. I mean, this is a really fucking loud Saturn in Taurus um, in the third decade, but he, um, yeah, he, he started working out like, or he started doing like anti-parasitic medications because how the company wow. had started and him and his cousin who had founded this company were known to be just like obsessed with making like quality products and medicines, like the slogan that Pfizer had come out with, when they, I don't know if it's still their slogan, but at the time when he was alive, when they founded the company is Pfizer quality. Wow. 
Wow. <laughs> Pfizer quality. That is so double Saturn. <laughs> I, I need I need to see the sinistry between me and the <laughs> that's amazing wow well yeah thank you guys so much for going through those i think that's just nice that's nice to kind of keep in mind as we you know move through airy season and, and into taurus and as planets move through these signs and it's also just i think really helpful to kind of have that framework of you know how certain planets can show up and how to kind of apply this um in our own lives and yeah, I mean, I guess last question would be like, how do you use the decans in your day-to-day life? Um, yeah, how do how do you how does how does it kind of show up in your regular practices? Okay, so I do the thing where like, you know, once every two weeks or so I'll like do like a you know, a fortnight because you know fortnight is two weeks for those of you who don't know <laughs> we're not all scientists uh, okay <laughs> we're not all that smart no i'm joking i mean hey mercury's retrograde so i have to put that out there um, like so something that i do is that you know if you think about the decans in terms like you know the decans correspond to you know the 10 days or so that you know the sun is moving through a sign but they also correspond to 10 degrees of the zodiac um even better when you have like a card that actually represents the planet in that sign because um something that i've noticed is that if i draw like say ooh the last one i did for myself actually i drew the four of pentacles and i was like mercury is there right now as we speak are you kidding me <laughs> or like um there was another time i drew one i think i drew like the three of pentacles and i was like Venus is like in this decan right now, or like another time when Mars was in that decan. It's just like, okay, this is a transit that's happening now. So like if you have a good sense of like the correspondences between like the cards, and if you are somewhat on top of like where planets are in the sky, you can actually quite literally see trying to tell you, like, hey, you might want to pay attention to this transit because like it's doing something right now. Yeah. That makes sense. That's a cool practice. Yeah. And then as for me, I, the biggest way I, I, I like most, yeah, the most frequent way I use this is I draw one tarot card every morning. Like I always start my mornings in that way. And I always just think about um, what, if there's a, like, you know, what decan or sign or planet, this card is associated with it. If it has any correspondences with my own chart um, for example, I've drawn six of pentacles two days in a row, and I don't draw this often, even though my um, ascendant is in this decan. And it's been really challenging me to think through. I think I, I think I kept drawing it because I don't think I was like getting, I think I was focusing so much on the scarcity side of it, like the people who are receiving the gifts. Mm. Um, and it just started to become louder that no, it's about me thinking through like, what do I like, what gifts do I have um, that I'm ready to share and give? And then sure enough, like Alice Sparkly Cat sent out their February 2022 horoscopes. And it was like that exact same message. It was like oh, the exact wow. same kind of questions. Yeah, for the Taurus horoscopes. So I was, um, oh yeah, I was pretty floored by that. Um, 
I, you know, my books aren't open, so I, I don't do like client work right now, but I'm still, you know, I still use electional and horary, you know, for like just my own personal use. And I'm constantly just trying to explore how much, how more to use the decans. Cause currently right now, just like with any of the other essential dignities, reception is always so important. Um, the reception between the planets when you're trying to like answer a horary question, or if you're trying to elect the right chart. I want to do like a lot more research and if there's anyone out there who already has or has their own theories I would like love to hear it but there are others there's it seems like there's been more exploration of what it means when a certain planet is in like a term like a certain term like for example um like let's say you ask a question about who your future husband is going to be and that they some astrologers say that the planet signifying the husband the term that are bound that it's in will could describe that person's career and so yes, I, I have yeah. now I have all these questions about well what 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 can the decans speak in terms of like the planets that you know either signify you or signify a future job a future husband or a, you know whoever stole your computer I don't know I love that um please keep me posted on any research that you're doing around that and I'll kind of keep a, just kind of kind of start thinking about that too because it's really interesting I I have um my Saturn and my Venus are, are in each other's decans, you could say. Um, and they are trying by sign and they're both in domicile. And so they, I've, I've been looking and I've been having this like Saturn transit to my Venus too, the, the trining my Venus. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that too. And just like them being in each other's decan, but I haven't thought about it in that way, um, in terms of like significators. So yeah, cool. I'm glad that you're you're kind of thinking about that. I, I want to see more work around the Deccans specifically in regards to dignity and um yeah, the more technical pieces of of what we do. Are you gonna say something though? I also, I also use them in solar returns in the sense that like if hmm. a person has like so the idea is that when you have a solar return. Um, the idea is that that chart operates as a vessel for, you know, the natal promise to be carried out, you know, highlighting different parts of the natal promise. And one of the things you pay attention to is when any planet is returning to the sign that it was in when you were born. Um, and, you know, some people do get planetary returns, but there might be differences in Deccan. And so if we take Deccans as, you know, here are the skill sets or like the unique contexts in which, you know, a planet is trying to act, for example, um, you could see differences in like how you're supposed to work with the natal themes because technically it's in the same sign, but it's like, I guess, mastering a different part of what that archetype means. Hmm. Um, and then finally, like, I don't know how much research has been done on this, but like, I don't think it's like, you know, like domicile or exaltation where you can have like planets that, um, you know, are like debilitated in a decan per se. But like, I would imagine that, you know, because certain planets are like contrary in terms of what they're trying to accomplish, I would imagine that some planets do worse in certain decans if the planets are like, you know, the opposite of what they're trying to accomplish. So I think mm -hmm. of like, the sun and Saturn's decans, or Saturn and the sun's decans, for example. Like, I don't think that's necessarily a debilitation, but I think more needs to be done to unpack, like, that's like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. 
Wow. Oh, cool. I'm sure like a lot of people's brains are pinging right now from all of that. So thank you both so much for sharing so much of your wisdom. And, you know, obviously folks are going to be interested in hearing more about the specific decans that their planets are in. So obviously check out Fixed Astrology Podcast. They, they just wrapped up all the decans. Um, for further learning, I would say check out Austin Kappa's book when it's out, 36 Faces, um, Volume 2. And then also Austin did um, a whole workshop, like we mentioned before, that's available on Norwalk's site for purchase too. Definitely worth it. Um, yeah, thank you both so much. Do so you want to tell the people where they can find you. And also if you have any like last words or comments about this too, feel free to share. Um, huh, I don't know where that is coming from. I'm gonna let you go, Mo. Uh, I was gonna say, uh, I'm just gonna plug 36 Secrets because like if you're a tarot bud and you wanna dive into astrology and like, learn a little bit about astrological correspondences. I think that's one of the books you should have. Like if you want to go that route with your tarot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of our, what the next steps are for fixed astrology podcast, by the time this airs, we'll be in the middle of a series on the planetary joys. So it's another series, a little bit shorter, but we hope you all will enjoy it and check it out. That's exciting. Maybe I can bring you guys back here to talk about that when you're finished. <laughs> um, I just wanted to grab 36 secrets um, just to kind of wave it around um, by T. Susan Chang. Again, we both, we all, all three of us highly recommend. Um, couldn't help but also grab my 36 faces <laughs> um just to show it off you know I yeah I got lucky this is like chicken scratch um Austin like did his logo or whatever in, in the inside of it but yeah it's it's a great text I can't wait till the next edition comes out um I can't wait to hear what folks think about this episode to make sure you let us know in our socials um I hope it starts some new Twitter trend where everyone's talking about <laughs> the decade of their ascendant or their midheaven or whatever. Um, so yeah, let us know. And um, yeah, where can where can people find you? Astral tour, like everywhere. Um, I will my website be out by that point. It might be dropping sometime in April. So. Yeah, get one of those exalted sun elections. <laughs> I have a couple, so good, yeah. good, <laughs> awesome. How about you, Pow? Twitter, so you can find me on Pow Astrology, but definitely follow me. And if I make any announcements about opening my practice again or anything astrology related, it's going to be on there. Well, awesome. And then, of course, your podcast, Fix Astrology. Yeah. Awesome podcast every month. So cool. <laughs> In true fixed fashion, you get once a, one a month as a treat. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you both so much. Thank you. All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed that episode. 
um, Pow and Mo are so awesome, so I'm sure you did. <laughs> and yeah, it's always super fun to dive into Deccans. Um, I hope you find some fun in all that, and I hope you, yeah, have fun exploring this more. Um, certainly, you know, make sure to connect with me on Twitter. I'm at the astrology underscore. Um, and as well as Poet, Poe, oh my God, <laughs> Mo and Pow. <laughs> Um, we're all on Twitter and I'll be posting about this episode when it releases. Um, similarly on Instagram, hit us up, let us know what you think about this episode. Um, we're at the astrology show on Instagram and I'm at the astrology and, um, yeah, check out our upcoming workshops. Be sure to smash that subscribe button, (laughs) smack that like, (laughs) Um, pound that five stars. I don't know. I'm trying to be funny and act like those intense dudes on YouTube, but I'm not that. (laughs) Um, all right, folks, we'll see you again next week with another fun episode. Um, looking forward to connecting online and in person this year. Hope to see you. Um, yeah. Thanks a bunch. Talk to you next time.